0: If you think being meek is weak, try being meek for a week. A little saying I came across this week, and it sounds a little bit loud to me, Carol. I don't know if it's loud to everyone else, but um, a little bit loud to me. It's a saying I came across this week, and it's been something that's been in my mind all week. If, if you think being weak is meek is weak, try being meek for a week. We are in Matthew chapter 5, and today looking at that beatitude, blessed are the meek, in verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we're looking uh, today at um, the fact that the meek are blessed because they inherit the earth. We began with the poor in spirit are blessed because they are in the kingdom. Poor in spirit, they are are bankrupt uh, before a holy God with nothing to give for their souls. There's no way they can do anything to purchase their souls. They say, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling, or they Sing, as we did this morning, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And and at the end of our service this morning, we will celebrate that fact that Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. So we begin with poor in the spirit, and then we move to the poor in the spirit are bankrupt. And we move to the meek or to those who mourn, because those who mourn will be comforted. There's a a bankruptcy in our lives, and then there's a brokenness in our lives. There's a, a deep inner grief over sin that leads to repentance. So those who know him are bankrupt, and those who know him are broken. And today we read that those who are meek are blessed, Because they inherit the earth. Those who are meek are bent. There is a bending of their will to do God's will. So we are people who are bankrupt, who are broken, and who are bent. And that is something that our culture just does not understand. We are blessed because we are bankrupt, broken, and bent. We're blessed. We're in a state of state of happiness, a state of deep inner joy. I like the definition of, of being in an enviable, enviable position for receiving God's favor as an extension of His grace. We are those who are to be envied because we are in a right relationship with God because of Christ. And we're in a position to receive His favor as an extension of His grace. That is, those who are bankrupt, those who are broken, those who are bent, are enviable. Enviable because they are recipients of God's gracious favor. We have experienced the grace of God. Now remember, the Beatitudes, as, we've, as we have begun uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes are the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and, and they are a chain. They've been called a, a, a golden chain chain that each link connects to the next link and if you have one of them you have all of them and the beatitudes describe who we are as those in the kingdom not what we do as those who are in the kingdom but who we are as those in the kingdom that God's approval rests on the person who recognizes spiritual poverty and that person Connecting to the next link will mourn over that spiritual bankruptcy because of sin. And the chain keeps the Beatitudes from from becoming a list of do's and don'ts. For example, in in verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We don't start there. We can't wake up one morning and say, I've been very unmerciful this week. And I'm going to be more merciful to all of the people I come into contact this week. And and I'm going to do that. It's like when you were were a kid, if you grew up in church, you went to the weekend uh, retreat and you said, I'm really going to do better this week. And you go back and by the end of the week, you're not doing better this week. And it's the same with being merciful. We can try really hard to show mercy, but we can't do that. We can't just say I'm not merciful so I'm going to be merciful. We need to begin with poverty of spirit. We need to then move to mourning. We then move to being meek for the meek shall inherit the earth and those who are meek hunger and thirst after righteousness and those who are the people who are merciful. You see this is a chain of who we are in Christ not picking out Things or areas of weakness where where I am weak. So we're poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt before God. We we are people who mourn a deep, um, lasting inner grief over sin that leads to repentance, and we become repentant people. Being meek is a natural result of those two links in the chain. Being meek is a natural result of of the. God of grace and his his salvation to us and in our life it leads to a hunger and a thirst for righteousness so the question really is how can we how can we not be meek before a holy God if we understand our bankruptcy and we understand mourning over sin how can we then not be those who are meek that's why we preach around here. Some, it's a popular thing. I think John, John Piper made it popular. I think it was um, Jerry Bridges in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, who said, preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's because w- what, we, what we do must come from who we are. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It comes from who we are. And that includes everything that we do in life. It includes our relationships at work. It includes our relationships at school, uh, sports that some of the kids, some of the boys might be involved in. It includes Bible study. It includes giving. Uh, It includes evangelism. All of those things come not because there are things to do, but they come because of who we are in Christ. And it must come from the grace of God and who he has made us to be in Christ. He's made us to be poor in spirit. He's made us to mourn over sin. And he's made us to be meek. So verse 5 begs really two questions this morning. What does it mean to be meek? And what does it mean to inherit the earth? If that's who we are, and that's what we're going to look forward to, what, what does it mean? How do we How does that apply to our life? And so we want to look at those two questions this morning. The first one being, what does it mean uh, to be weak? And if we think of uh, what the first thing that perhaps comes to our mind, because what we have seen uh, on TV or in movies or or in the news, um, the first thing that often comes to mind in the world when we think of meekness is weakness. Those who are who are timid, um, wallflowers, milk toast, doormats. Yeah, you're thinking the same thing. That, those, are, those are the meek. So why would we want to be meek? There's no other religion that says meekness is a positive quality. Jesus' words must have been shocking to the Jews. After all, they were slaves. They may not have been uh, in chains, but they were slaves. They were slaves to Rome. Rome. Rome ruled the world. Rome was in charge at this point. Israel was not in charge of, of themselves. And they awaited a Messiah. We sang about that Messiah this morning, but their, their picture of that Messiah was, was different. They awaited a Messiah who would lead the charge. He's going to set them free, either uh, through, through a strong military or, or through miracles. There were zealots in the Jewish community. Those were those uh, who were ready to fight. They were the, um, we would probably call them terrorists today. If, if They were the ones who, who um, assassinated leaders of the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, it led to the destruction of, of Israel rather than to the freedom of Israel. They were looking for a military leader, the, the Pharisees. They believed in miracles. They, they saw Jesus. We, we, we read that he was, um, he was healing the sick. He was uh, opening the eyes of the blind. He was creating food with his hands to feed the crowds. And they saw these miracles. So in their minds, they've got to be thinking, could this be the Messiah? He's going to set us free. Then Jesus says, blessed are the meat. Even the disciples, the disciples in, in um, Acts chapter 1 at, at the, we read very early uh, about the, the resurrection in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, even the disciples, we read, so they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Even the disciples didn't get what Jesus was saying. I, I believe it wasn't until the, the Holy Spirit came and, and uh, taught them all of these things. that they, they actually understood what Jesus was saying. Meekness was, even at that time, countercultural. And it is especially countercultural today because blessed are the powerful. And blessed are the mighty, and blessed are the proud. And in sports, blessed are those are the trash talkers. Uh, They're always the best players. There must be something about that. Blessed are the argumentative, blessed are those who are the go-getters who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But Isaiah tells us that Jesus came for. A particular reason in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 he says this the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God "...to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient of ruins." They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. He says, I've come not to preach to to the mighty and the proud, although he did preach to those and he he convicted them of sin, but he says, I've come to preach to the poor and to the brokenhearted. He's come to preach to the meek. So what is the true definition of, of meekness? Well, when you realize that uh, this word is a translation of a Greek word that is a military term, you begin to get a completely different picture of what meekness is. The Greek word is used to define a horse trained for battle. If you were at our house this week, um, I requested to rewatch an older movie called War Horse. Nobody knew why I wanted to watch that movie, and I didn't tell them. But I wanted, to, I wanted to see what it was that a war horse did. And in Rome, the wild stallions were captured and they were brought down and they were, they were broken for riding. Some pulled wagons and, and some were uh, racers, but the best were trained for warfare. They retained their spirit. They retained their courage. They, they retained their power and they were they were strong animals, but they were disciplined to respond to the movement of a leg of of their owner of their rider. If you watch the movie War Horse, Joey was the war horse. Quite a name for a war horse, I thought. Uh, but Joey always responded to the whistle of his owner. He responded and he was obedient to his master, they're not frightened, they run into battle, they run into the arrows and the spears and the torches. And the, the, the meaning of this word is that those horses are meeked. They're actually said to be meeked. To meek a horse is, is to take him from wild rebellion and make him completely loyal and dependent to one master. That's what meek means. It also means to take away their their fearfulness and make them unflinching in the face of danger. And these stallions, they become submissive, but certainly not spineless. They embody power under control. Meekness is not a personality trait. It's not... Blessed are those who God made, uh, gave a personality who, that's quiet. Uh, it, God would get no glory if he, was, if he was referring to a personality trait here. And in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God is, God is making people who will bring him glory. So he's not saying just because you're quiet, uh, just because you're reserved, uh, just because you don't like attention. That's not what he's saying here when he says you are the meek and you will inherit the earth. This is an obedience to God by bending my will to do God's will, that God bends our will in order that we want to see his will accomplished in our lives. That's why we pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the meek person. When Paul speaks of the meekness and gentleness of Christ, he describes this kind of obedience. That Jesus did not suffer on the cross because he was a meek, weak doormat. He went to pay a price that had to be paid for all of us, including you and me. One writer put it this way, that he marched into hell to keep us out. That is meekness. What was Jesus thinking when he he said this in this sermon? I wish we had all of his notes and, and all of the words that he said, but... I think if we um, look at Psalm 37 for just a couple of moments, we'll have an idea of what Jesus had in mind. And I find it always interesting that in the Bible study hour, uh, when things coincide, that uh, is really quite amazing. Bob had us read from the last part of Psalm 37 this morning, and and George read for us the first 11 verses of. Psalm 37 this morning. But I think in this psalm we understand what Jesus meant as he said in Matthew 5:5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, verse 11, says this: But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Sounds familiar. And if we were to read the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, it would be word for word, Matthew 5.5, but the meek shall inherit the earth. Kind of makes me um, think that more than likely Jesus had Psalm 37 in mind when he said the meek will inherit the earth. In verse 9 it says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So who are the meek? Well, verse 11 tells us they're going to uh, inherit the land. Verse 9 tells us that uh, the people who will inherit the land are those who wait on the Lord. So waiting on the Lord must have something to do with being meek. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, I think we could Uh, Go to verse 8. It says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. It has something to do with refraining from anger and forsaking wrath and not fretting about myself, not worrying so much about myself. I think it begins in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend his faithfulness. Trust in the Lord. It begins with trusting in God. It begins with understanding that God is someone who is trustworthy, that he is worthy of our trust, that what he says he will do, he will do. And so when we trust in the Lord, then in verse 5, we commit our your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. We trust in the Lord and we commit our way, the weak, the meek commit their way to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, if, if you had an old King James Version, you would see a note in there that's on the word commit. Commit your way to the Lord. It means to roll. It means to roll your way onto the Lord or roll your burdens on Him roll your failures on the Lord, roll your fears and the the roadblocks in life and everything that hinders you. We read that, don't we? Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. And so we trust God and we roll everything in life that would be a failure or a fear or a roadblock, we roll it onto him. And then in verse 7 it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. If we roll our cares onto the Lord, we give them to Him. We don't roll them onto Him and then hold on to them, but we wait patiently for the Lord. We wait for God to work in those situations. We could say here, be still before the Lord and wait patiently on Him. Quit griping. If you've given something to the Lord, stop griping about it. You've given it to him. Don't take it back. Don't don't try to solve it yourself if you've actually given it to him. And then he says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. Fret not yourself. It results in... Not holding grudges. It results in uh, not being angry. It results in forgiveness. Well, the question then becomes, why does no one accuse me of being meek? And why um, why aren't we meek in the faces of face of brothers and sisters? Why aren't we considered meek in the face of our neighbors? I think it's because we, we easily confess our sin to God. And we confess to God that we are, we are sinners. But when a brother comes to me and tells me that I am a sinner, well, that's not so easy for me to accept. And the gloves then come off. We're quick to defend but we're not quick to defer. We're quick to defend ourselves, but we're not quick to defer and give things to God. Charles Spurgeon was right when he said, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. And that is the truth. I'm not ready to let others say to me the very things that I'm willing to confess to God. And that is a hypocrisy, and that hypocrisy exists when meekness is absent. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in uh, his writing and in his sermons, summarized this by saying this, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. A man who is truly meek, or a woman who is truly meek, is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. That is a meek person, a person of gentle spirit, humble, sensitive, patient in relation to others. There are many examples of this in in Scripture. Um, Abraham and Lot would come to mind when Abraham... um, told Lot to pick wherever he wanted to go, and, and you pick this way, I'll go this way, you pick the good land, I'll take whatever's less. That was a meekness. Abraham had every, every right and every power to take whatever land he wanted. Joseph and his, um, his brothers, Joseph could have put his brothers in prison after they betrayed him, but he didn't do that. It was an example of meekness. But there are only two people in the Bible who were called meek. One was Moses and one was Jesus. And in Numbers 12, Moses is called meek. Numbers 12, verse 1 is the story of Miriam and Aaron who spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? It doesn't say anything about Moses, but it says, and the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. We need to have a conversation. Three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward and he said, Hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. It's very interesting, in, in that conversation, there'd be that statement, Moses was the most meek man in all the earth. Why that statement? Because Moses had every right to do whatever he wanted with Aaron and Miriam. And Moses did nothing, but he trusted God. He rolled it onto God. He waited for God and God worked in that situation. Be still and wait. Stop griping. You can't take it back. Tell it to God. God will handle it. How do you know if you're meek? Well, I think, first of all, you have a right view of yourself and God. That apart from the grace of God, you cannot enter the kingdom. You can't do anything of spiritual significance apart from God's grace. That's first. But I think we also need to have a right view of God's word. In James 1, verse 21, we read these words. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. If we're to be meek people, we need to understand we need to be meek people in order to be obedient to the Word of God. If we do not bend our will to do God's will, we are not meek people. Meekness is necessary in order to obey Scripture. And then we need to have a right view of others. Do I receive criticism well? Uh, Do I... Respond to criticism well. Am I angered when God is dishonored, but not angered when I am? Jesus was meek, but when God was dishonored, he cleared the temple. But he never defended himself. If I have those things in my life, and if you have those things in your life, those are proofs that God brought me into the kingdom. And by the way, he says, those are the ones who will inherit the earth, meaning only those are the ones who inherit the earth. So what does it mean to inherit the earth? If those are the, are the meek, what does it mean to inherit the earth? We might think that... that uh, inherit the land. Uh, Israel had to fight for the land, but it was God who gave it to them. But we enter our inheritance not by might, not with power, not by sword, but by thy spirit, with meekness. Psalm 37, the same principles that um, we read, do not fret because of those who are evil, the meek will inherit the land. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Hope in the Lord and commit your way uh, to him. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. The same principles apply today. We may face opposition. We may face uh, persecution. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus will tell us that we will. But we understand the reign of Christ on earth. There is a sense that we already possess the earth. We are already building the kingdom one day at a time, one soul at a time. We are spreading the kingdom on earth. But one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will fully inherit the earth. See, the way of Christ is countercultural to our world. Uh, We live in a uh, countercultural kingdom. Paul said it this way, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We already possess everything because we are in Christ. So if you think being meek is weak, uh, try being meek for a week. What if Jesus meant every word he said? We've raised this question the last two weeks. We're called to be meek, to demonstrate power under control. Through the Holy Spirit, we can forgive those who hurt us. We can withhold spiteful replies, evil words. We can be the first to apologize. We can be servants of others. We can be meek. How? By trusting God, by rolling our struggles on Him, by leaving them with Him, by not holding grudges, by not expressing a a false forgiveness of someone. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. Yes. When we begin with a reminder of our abject poverty before a holy God. Is there a conversation that um, you need to have perhaps this week? Perhaps with someone at work or someone at school? uh, Someone at home? A child, a parent, a spouse? Someone at church? Your old nature may want to resort to spitefulness, um, prideful put-downs. We're all good at those words. Or perhaps even shutting that person completely out of your life. But God calls us to meekness. He urges you to speak truth and love and leave the consequences to him. Paul writes in Galatians, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's the same word. In a spirit of meekness, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness, meekness is power under control, but if you think being meek is weak, try being meek or weak, pray together with me.